Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Listen to what the Word says. I'm going to be preaching out of one verse this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The last verse in that chapter, verse 58, says this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want to preach to you this morning from a very simple concept titled, It's Not in Vain. Look at somebody and say, it's not in vain. Pray with me. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you, God, for resurrection. Thank you for life. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. God, I pray that by your Spirit you'd anoint me to say the things that would honor you today, things that would be sound doctrine, God, things that would speak life and encouragement. God, teach us what you'd have us to know. Lord, I pray for each person under the sound of my voice today, God, that you would increase our faith, God, that you would increase our hope. Father, pour your love out in this place is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This verse that I just read to you, and I set it up by saying it's the last verse in this very long chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, 58 verses, but this entire chapter deals with resurrection. It is almost an exhaustive commentary on the subject of resurrection. If you ever want to know about resurrection, you just need to read these 57 verses, and the last verse, 58, will wrap it all up for you. But there is so much about resurrection in here, and it reminds me, as I was thinking about this chapter this week, most people don't really think that much about the supernatural. Most people in church don't really think that much about the supernatural. So I wanted to come and remind you today that our religion, our faith, our belief system is a supernatural religion. Our, our, our truth that we get from this Bible is miraculous. The, the, the faith that of fo- the followers that follow Jesus Christ have is faith in resurrection. What am I saying? This man died and raised himself from the dead. We say amen and we believe that, and you must believe that to be saved because that is what, what gives you life. That, that, that is what allows you to be born again, that believing that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised the third day according to the Scripture, Paul said in this very same chapter, is what the gospel is all about. Now, if you believe that the God that you serve, who you love more than anything, right, who loves you a lot, right, you believe that this, this God raised himself from the dead, and one day he'll raise you, grandmama and them, and everybody else who's saved from the dead. But why are you worried about your bills? Why are you worried about your health? Why are you worried about 
politics? Why are you worried uh, about, about what's going on? Now, I understand all these things can sidetrack us, and I'm as guilty as anybody of getting sidetracked. But if you read the proverb of the day, every day, you're going to find out that the Scripture says, don't get sidetracked. Say, don't do it. Don't get sidetracked with all these other things. If we really focused on the faith we say we have, if we really thought about the Lord we say we trust, if we really believed in resurrection, we'd just walk around giddy all the time waiting. We'd, we'd walk around writing new songs to God in our mind, in our heart. We would really be in that frame of mind that the old church used to sing soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. We, we would just be walking around excited about the concept of, of old hymn writers, uh, songwriters that said stuff like, I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. We so get caught up. We get so deep rooted in this life that it's, it's as if we don't even think about the next life. But the scripture declares to us that everything in this life, this realm, this existence that we have right now is temporary. It's passing. The Bible says that our, our entire life, whether you live one year or a, a thousand years, no matter how long you live, the Bible says that it is just a vapor that appears for a little time and then it's gone. It, 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 it's just a brief existence. It's, it's just for a moment. Now, that, that's hard for the young person to conceive. That, that's hard for young people to, to gather. They think they're going to live forever. They think they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But as people get older, they realize time sure has moved on. I hear so many people say, where did all the time go? How did it go by so fast? I'll tell you again. One day at a time. It went by in 24-hour segments. It went by seven days in a week. It went by 28 to 31 days in a month. It went by 365.25 days in a year. See, because here's the reality. We get lulled into a comfortable position where we don't think about the eternal, where we just randomly bump through life and then we look back and we realize, wow, days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months turned into years, years turned into decades, and who in the world is this person I'm looking at in the mirror? And how did they ever get to weigh that much? <laughs> I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. Don't be that person who let your entire life slip away. I spoke at a funeral Friday uh, uh, for a classmate of mine, and I'm in that age group now. And I, and I had so many people blowing up my social media saying, you know, one, one dude said, when are all of our classmates going to stop dying? I thought, yeah, right, when they're all dead. I thought, I could use this as a teaching moment. When are they all going to all stop dying? Uh, you know, you won't know about it because you're going to die too. Unless you're the last one and then you'll still die too. But life is passing. Can we agree on that? We need to do something with it while we have it. We need to do something with it while we have it. Because one day, no matter how young you are, no matter how strong you feel, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize, I'm older. 
than I used to be. See, once you stop celebrating birthdays, you realize you are on your way to old age. Once you start saying, I, you know, it's just another day. Once you start saying age is just a number, you're old. And if you ever out of your mouth say that any decade is a different, if you're one of those, well, you know, uh, 70's the new 50. No, it ain't. Now, we can look at you and tell that. Same way people can look at, at, at people in my decade. People say, well, you know, 50's the new 30. Are you drunk? Are you really on some stuff? Because 50 is 50. Ask that AARP card in my wallet. What 50 will do for you to get you 10% off at Outback. <laughs> Praise the Lord and some other places too. If y'all know of some, let me know because I don't want to be missing out. I sat with that thing in my pocket for years not knowing. I could have been getting a discount. But listen, life is moving on. And we need to wake up. And the church needs to wake up and realize that our faith is a supernatural faith. We believe in a God who raised himself from the dead. We believe in a God who beat death, hell, and the grave. We believe in a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Worry should not be so prevalent in the life of the believer. Grief should not be so prevalent in the life of a believer. I was around a bunch of grieving people this week, and I understand grief, and I understand there's a time for all these emotions but I also understand when someone passes that is saved, we're not grieving for them. We're grieving for us. Because if we really believe that they are sure enough in heaven where, where, the, where, where this very chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, tells us that their mortal body has put on immortality, that their corruptible body has put on incorruption, that they've been given a new home, a new name, a new body, uh, a new existence, uh, we ought to be excited for them. I mean, we, it, it's, I mean I, I'm not going to say it's funny, but I see some people, I, I hate funerals. I really do. Um, funerals have always scarred me. Uh, I've always had issues with funerals, but you see the wildest stuff at funerals. I saw somebody stand up and read a poem, cried through the whole thing, wept, sobbed. And I understand that. But the poem they were reading was, Don't cry for me. Don't shed a tear. I'm, I, I'm now gone but I'll always be near. And they're just sobbing, and they kept coming back to that, but don't cry for me. And I'm thinking, they probably should have got somebody else to read that poem. <laughs> Here's the reality, and this, this, this is not to be a downer, this, but this is to be real. We all have a limited amount of time on this earth. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes says that it is better to spend your time going to funerals than going to parties. Because the grave is the end of all people, and the wise will lay heart to it. You need to think about your mortality for, 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 at every age. If you're in here and, and, and you're eight years old, if you're, if you're in here and you're a teenager, if you're in here in any age group, you need to realize this is the only today, this is the only October of 2018 we're ever going to have. This is the only grade, unless you do it two or three times, but still it'll be it's the only first time in whatever grade you're in. Or be hopefully the only second time you'll be in that grade. This is the only time 
that we have and we need to maximize it. The scripture tells us that we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. We need to make best use of our time. And I want to let you know it is so easy just to bump through life. It is so easy just to go through the motions. It is so easy just to do what you do. Just get up on Monday, go to work, so you can get up on Tuesday and go to work again. I've said this for years. I heard one of my mentors saying it as as I was doing some personal study this week. uh, With one of my mentors uh, said something that I've been saying for years. You better not let procrastination steal away your whole life. Procrastination will steal your life from you. If you just let the days pile up and you keep thinking, I'll get to it, 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 you will probably never get to it because you'll keep putting it off, you'll keep putting it off, and you'll keep putting it off. You need to live in the moment. You need to make the most out of every day that you can. And as a Christian, you need to make a determination. Is it more important for you? That you do what God wants you to do or that you do what you want to do. Now, I can give you a hint. If you can't figure out the right answer to that, you don't have the right kind of salvation. You don't have real Bible salvation. You might have church membership, but Bible salvation is an entirely different thing. I want us to hear this verse again. Therefore, comma. Look, put that verse on the screen for me, D. Therefore, comma. Now, I'm always going to tell you, when you read the Bible, pay attention to the punctuation. That comma gives you cause for pause. And when you see the word therefore, you should always stop and ask yourself what that word is there for. It means because of everything that I've just said. And a lot has been said in this chapter. Uh, God has inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the Christians in Corinth. In this chapter, he goes in depth into the resurrection uh, what, what the resurrection is about and how it takes place. And he says, therefore, because of everything that I've said to you about the good news about the resurrection, my beloved brethren. We talk a lot about understanding the Bible at Abundant Life because we're a Bible-teaching church. And we talk about keys to make the Bible make sense to you, principles to follow. And, and one of these principles is us and them principle. It's a we and they principle. And when the scripture says us, it's typically talking to Christians. When it says they, it's typically talking to unsaved. God makes it really clear right here who he's talking to. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren. Now, Paul is not talking to his biological brothers. He's talking to his spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. I wonder if you have yet found value in a spiritual brother or sister in Christ. Have you ever had somebody that wasn't part of your biological family, but was part of your spiritual family that you knew really loved you? This is one of the great things about being in church and getting involved in the life of fellow believers. You get to be involved in this bigger thing, this spiritual family that we call the body of Christ. And so here God is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to people who are in the family of God, and he gives some very specific instructions. I was sharing with the deacons this morning and the elders this morning uh, before we prayed. I don't know, actually, it was after we prayed about how crazy churches are right now. I am seeing so much stuff on the Internet about churches. Uh, and these are churches where 
uh, people that a lot of us know attend. People that used to go here and serve God here have now found themselves in churches that are saying crazy stuff like you should never feel convicted of your sin. Churches that are saying stuff like that all your sin has been washed away and the Holy Spirit can't convict you of something that God doesn't remember. Now see, if you're really saved, all that stuff should be like, how'd they get so whack? How'd they used to sit up in here and get so whack like that? No, the Bible doesn't teach that. No, no, no orthodox theologian ever taught that. Churches that are saying, like I told you last week, it's just all love. It's just all grace. And, and, and the Bible is full of love. And God is full of love. And God is full of grace. God is love. God is grace. God's also justice. God's also wrath. The Bible's also full of repentance. And it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I told you the grace movement was much needed. The grace movement was, was awesome until it got taken to an extreme that caused people to think, well, I can just stomp on uh, God's laws and he'll love me anyhow. Thank God he does love us anyhow, but there are requirements inside the body of Christ, and God gives us a bunch of them right here, and I want us to look at them this morning. Why? Not because I want you to have burdens on you. Not because I want you to be weighed down with do's and don'ts, but because I want you to know what the Father expects of you so you can have his blessing. I want you to know what the Father tells you to do so that you can have everything that he wants you to have. The Bible says that God gives us a choice to obey him or to disobey him. And if we obey him, we get a blessing. And if we disobey him, we get chastisement so let's continue in the verse it's talking to christians if you're a christian today this word is for you if you're not a christian i urge you to become a christian so this word can be for you he says therefore because of everything i've said listen up you christians be ye steadfast now i'm just going to break down some words this morning i'm not going to uh, preach long i'm going to teach a little bit i'm going to break down some words because i want you to understand how specific words in the Bible are. These words were not chosen at random. These words didn't just fly out of someone's mouth. God inspired holy men, the Scripture says, to write these words down as the Spirit of God led them. And the first thing we see that Christians should be is steadfast. Now, I, I, I love the concept of what we should be, say be. doesn't matter what you were. See, a lot of people, and sometimes your own mind, wants to hold you captive to what you were, not what you be. What you be is more important than what you were. You, you, you need to be certain things right now. And, and, and a lot of times, people who know you, who think they know you better than everyone else, tell you foolish stuff like, you're not kidding me with all that Jesus talk. I know you. No, they know who you were. They don't know who you be. B is an active tense. I understand I should say R, but I'm trying to get you in a B mind. Say B. So here's what we must be. These are the things that we must actively have going on in our life if we want to walk in the blessing of our Father. Be steadfast. Say steadfast. All right. Now, this word is taken from an old English word from hundreds of years ago that was originally taken from a Greek word that Paul wrote to the Corinthians thousands of years ago. And I want to give you some extended definitions. I, it, it, this word steadfast has a wide range 
of definitions that this one word encompasses. It means to be strong, to be settled, dependable, reliable, constant, unwavering. It implies a sureness and continuousness that may be depended on. It literally means this, fixed in place. Fixed in place. Now, one thing, uh, and I'm just so often overwhelmed by the people who serve God at this church. Overwhelmed by the steadfastness of the people who serve God at this church. You can look in the sound booth uh, anytime that we have service, and you can find what it means to be steadfast. People who are fixed in their place. You can go to food and clothing on Saturday, and you can find steadfastness. People who are fixed in their place. You can find on Thursday night or whenever the praise team gathers together up here to sing and or practice, you can find steadfast. We'd like to have more steadfastness, wouldn't we? We'd like to have more people fixed in their place. Uh, But this is a requirement of all believers that we be fixed in place. It's, It's used figuratively to indicate undeviating constancy or a strong and firm resolution. Listen listen to what this last definition said. It is best described as a loyal support that will endure strain. Steadfast, it's a strong, steady, fixed in your place, loyal support that endures strain. It endures what? That's life. That, that, that's life. You, when, when we see someone come, they pray, they get saved, and, and God changes them, and they start growing. It's exciting. It's awesome. It's awesome when people are really plugging in and investing in their spirituality. There's an excitement there. And, but so often, life happens. And they get around too many church folk. And they realize, oh, well, maybe I should calm down in all my excitement the way the rest of y'all have calmed down in your excitement. Maybe I should be less steadfast, less resolute. Maybe I should be less, less, less all in. But, but I want you to know, if you want everything God has for you, steadfastness is required. Uh, 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 I'm in my place. I, I, I am not changing what I'm doing. I, I am a loyal supporter of my faith, and I can endure strain. Life, life will put strain on you. Doesn't matter if you have an easy life in your mind, there's still strain in it. If you have a hard life in your mind, there's strain in that too. The reality is every one of us could sing a sad song. Every one of us could tell a story, a real story in life uh, about some difficult event that has happened to us because life brings strain. Life brings struggle. Life is filled with crazy people. Somebody ought to say amen. I've, all, I've always told you this. I'll tell you again. There are crazy people in your family. If you can't in your mind right now name at least one of them, it's you. That's every family. That's every family got a crazy person in it. If you can't name one, you're the one. But life brings strain. Steadfastness says that you, you have to be a loyal supporter that can endure strain. Every church says the same thing. Uh, I have preachers say it all the time. I've heard it everywhere I've ever been that if all the people 
who had ever come through the doors of this church all showed up at one place, we wouldn't have anywhere to put them. Well, the good news is they ain't coming back. They are not coming back. They're not all going to show up at one time. People used to come. People used to teach. People used to preach. People used to sing. People used to serve. People used to be faithful, but they aren't anymore. The strain got them. And you know why the strain got them? Because they let it. I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else at all. You do not have to let the strain get you. You can endure the strain if you will choose to be a steadfast person. Here's what a steadfast person says. I'm going to be in my place. I'm going to be strong in my belief system. I'm going to be strong in what I do for the Lord, and I am not going to be faded. I'm not going to weaken. I'm not going to lose my resolve. I'm not going to let crazy people run me out. I'm not going to let people on my nerves run me out. I'm not going to let what pastor says that I don't agree with run me out. I'm not going to let politics or, or culture run me out. Why? Because Scripture demands that we be steadfast. The Scripture, put, put the whole verse back on the screen for me. It, it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, if you consider yourself one, one of the members of the body of Christ, you be, now, my beloved brethren, is that one or many people? Now, when it says, be ye steadfast, that's talking to one person. It, it, ye, you. People are like, the ye's and the thou's just throw me. No, they don't. You can figure it out. You be steadfast. Here's the problem. People come to church, and they want to they gang jump the preacher. They, they, they want to talk about everything that's wrong with the pastor, with his family, with deacons, with the elders, with the leaders, with the singing, with the songs. They, they want to look for everything that they can point at so they don't have to concentrate on their own life. I would to God that you would get yourself in order so you can help me. I would to God that you would get yourself fully devoted to Christ so you can be an example to all of us because the Scripture says not make sure everybody else is steadfast. It said be you steadfast. So I wonder today, could you even call what you, you say your faith is steadfast? Are you in your place? Do you have a loyalty that can endure the strain? Or are you going to be one of those people that are like so many? Well, you know, she used to come to church. She used to read her Bible. She used to pray. He used to be involved in what God was doing. Too many people have fallen out. And the Bible says in the last days that people wouldn't endure sound doctrine. That's why they're flaking off to all these churches that are like, oh, everything's fine. It's just all love. I told you all last week, that's what hippies believe. That's not a Christian message. That's a cult message. That's a hippie commune message. That's a music festival. Go sleep in the mud and in the rain and tell everybody you love them message. That's not the message of God's book. God's message is a steadfast Message. I want you to know if you follow God seriously for any length of time, uh, the devil is going to try to make you think, uh, what's the point? What's the point? If you follow God for any length of time, there's going to be a strain that's going to come over you. There, there's going to be an adversity that's going to come over you. There's going to be an opportunity where you could choose to say, they did me wrong. Or 
he's a hypocrite, or whatever, and you could just back up on your commitment to God, and you, the devil's going to want you to think, well, what difference does it really make? Here's another thing the devil wants you to believe. I'm just one person. You realize the apostle Paul was just one person? Billy Graham was just one person. Mother Teresa was just one person. Uh, Dr. King was just one person. Uh, you are just one person, but if you choose to, God could do some amazing things through you. See, there's nothing special in and of themselves of the people that you view highly in Christ. What's special about them is not them, it's the God they serve. And I don't want you to ever get caught up in this foolish line of thinking, well, what difference does it make if I go to church today? Well, one, God told you not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together. God told you to gather together in his name, to stand in the house of the Lord amidst the congregation of believers. What people get this in their mind, what difference does it make? It makes a difference. Say amen. And if you're going to be steadfast, you're going to have to be that type of person who continues on while enduring strain. The Bible, the, the last of this verse, and we'll get to it in a minute, but some of y'all are already sleeping. Uh, don't miss this point. If you don't get anything, get this. The point is everything you do in the name of Jesus Christ is not in vain. The point is this. Because of the resurrection, we, we, we ought to be fired up and doing something for God. If you really believe that he rose from the dead and he's coming back to get you, you ought to be getting ready. If you knew that somebody that you cared about was coming to your house, you probably wouldn't have four pair of dirty underwear in your doorway. You might, but you need help. You, you probably want to make sure that there's some toilet paper in the downstairs bathroom. Amen, boys? You got to make sure that happens. Uh, Lest some lady be in there humiliated and ashamed. We're all men in my house. What well, we need toilet paper in the downstairs bathroom for? You know you got your favorite toilet. It ain't the downstairs bathroom. So every now and then there'll be no toilet paper in there. God forbid somebody come by and they're stranded in there. Thank God we don't waste money on pretty towels. Put hang a towel in your bathroom. I can't wash my hands on. I wash my hands on it. And use your little cute soap too. You said it there. There for looks in your world. Be stranded in the bathroom and have to make that awkward. Um, excuse me. Do y'all have any toilet paper? What y'all doing in there? You would make preparation if you believed someone you valued was coming to your home. Do you believe that Jesus is valuable? Do you believe he's coming for you? We need to make preparation. Part of our preparation is to be steadfast. Look at that next word. See, we got a lot of commas here, so we got to pause. We got to stop. We got to think about these words because we want to be what God tells us that we must be. And he tells us we must be steadfast, but then he goes to this next word, unmovable. Say unmovable. All right, I'm going to give you some definitions for unmovable, and then we're going to go somewhere. Unmovable literally means not to be moved from its place, firmly persistent. If you right-click the word unmovable in your Word doc, 
and you scroll down to synonyms, there are eight fantastic words that you will get. Now, you can't always trust right-click synonyms for real definitions, especially definitions of words that were written in a different language. But here we have eight great words. Listen to some synonyms. Anybody know what a synonym is? Look it up. You'll figure it out. All the smart people in the room thought in their mind, well, it's the opposite of antonyms. Hint, smarty X. if we don't know what synonyms are, telling us is the opposite of antonyms is not really going to help us. Am I right? I'm not going to make you raise your hand and say, I can't spell either one of them words. But it's words that have a similar meaning to this word unmovable. Listen to these. Unaffected. Untouched, unmoved, unbothered, unyielding, unwavering, unbending, and inflexible. Let me get on that inflexible one first. Because political correctness teaches us that we should be broad-minded, open-minded, flexible, that you do you, we'll do we, you have your truth. I cannot stand these people. To talk about, well, I have to live my truth. You don't own truth. And truth doesn't change from you to me. Hot is hot for everybody. Real hot. Now, if you're complaining about the, the heat right now three weeks into fall, and you, you wish you were still back up north, I looked at the weather up north this week. 31 degrees in the fall. I'm like, uh, that sounds more like winter. That's below freezing. So what's the moral of the story? Don't don't tell Pastor Scott Florida doesn't have seasons. We had a nice season of coolness this morning. Amen? You're going to see your light bill go down in a minute. But the truth is the truth for everyone. God is inflexible. God's word is inflexible. God's believers in many ways are inflexible inflexible not that we don't love everyone but we don't accept what everyone believes i told y'all president bush got in so much trouble not president bush uh it was when president bush was the president the preacher who was at first baptist uh dr jerry vines got in trouble around the world they were calling for his execution they were threatening jihad to come kill this man because he said Christianity is better than Islam because Christianity can get you heaven to heaven and Islam can't. And people are like, oh, you shouldn't. Everybody came out against him. Oprah came out against him. Dr. Phil came out against him. Uh, Muslims came out against him. Politicians came out against him. Every, you know, all the little special interest groups. Listen, if you're tied into a special interest group other than Christianity, you probably ought to let loose of that. But they all came out, how dare he say that his religion is any more valuable than someone else's religion? Well, I will reiterate it for him. Christianity is better than any other and all other religions combined because it's the only way you can get to heaven. It's the only true religion that there is. Everything else is not a nice, wonderful fantastic belief system filled with wonderful human beings. Every other belief system is a lie and a cult designed by the devil to drag people into a devil's hell. Mm. Well, that's not warm and fuzzy right there. 
but the truth's the truth anyhow. Well, I don't know why you would say that, Pastor Scott, because I disagree with Oprah. And I have a cousin on my mother's side twice removed when, when grandparents got divorced and split the family. Uh, and, and they are a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Cult. They will not go to heaven. And, and listen. Here, here's the cool thing. Now, I, I, here's the thing I love about J-Dubs. Jehovah Witnesses, they, they're smart people because even they know they ain't going to heaven. Ask one of them. Ask any Jehovah Witness you want to. Are you going to spend eternity in heaven? And the ones that, in, that, that know their doctrine will say, well, not me. Heaven's reserved for the 144,000 special witnesses, uh, and I will be outside. And I'm thinking, you'll be outside heaven? You giving money to that church? You out there knocking on my door at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning getting refused entry because I'm not opening the door for you? You're out there doing all that? For a cult, listen, Christianity is not a religion. I've had people tell me for almost 40 years, well, Pastor Scott, you just stuck into old ways, and it's a new world, and it's, 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 it's a new, God's doing a new thing. People want to twist that half a phrase. And, and listen, the world has changed. Yeah, the world has changed, but God hasn't. Not, not only is that statement true that God hasn't changed, this statement is equally true. God cannot change. The scripture declares that he is the Lord. He changes not. He cannot change what he said. He said all these words are forever settled in heaven. Not not one dot, not one comma, not one apostrophe is ever going to change out of this book. What was good then is still good now. This politically correct movement of flexibility, tolerance, and open-mindedness is just a perversion to try to cause you to think, well, maybe I should be more accepting of people I disagree with. No, you should love everybody, but don't accept their, their truth. Don't accept their lies about the truth because their lies about the truth are lies. I told you before, it always brings back to me in my mind. Uh, if, if you ask me if I'm a man or a woman. I got real problems with you already. If you can't look at me until now, hey. We were, what's that ice cream place in, in, in Oak Cleave called? Brewsters. We were at Brewsters the other night. And I'm looking through the window and I lean over. I figure, you know, Jake's 17. He's in high school. He got more familiarity with this age group of people than I do. I'm like, hey, dude. Is that a boy or a girl dipping that ice cream? I had no way of knowing. Shaved head, all on this side, close on this side, forearms like Popeye. Hey, dipping that ice cream must work. Uh, <laughs> and Jake said, Dad, that's a girl, but, yeah, she kind of looks like a dude. I'm like, that's a Really looks like a dude. But if you look at me and can't tell, then you got issues. I, I am a man. And I am not flexible about that discussion. <laughs> I don't need to be flexible. I have four copies of my own birth certificate. You know why? Because every time I have to go on a cruise, 
I need my birth certificate. And I'm like, well, it's off the vital statistics again because I don't know where that. I know I haven't lost it because I never threw anything away, but I can't tell you exactly where it is. Well, I can tell you where all four of them are right now. I got them in the lockbox. But all four of them say the same thing, male. You ought to be able to look at me and hear my voice and know that I'm a man. Uh, Hey, I'm not going to prove the benefit of the doubt for you, but if I strip down naked in this room, you sure know I was a man. Unless you're crazy, like people in New York and in other places. Uh, How about about your boy up there, man? Elder Keon sent me the the latest news. I'd seen it on TV, de Blasio. This dude... This liberal whack job mayor in New York City just passed a law this week joining a bunch of other places in America that is now putting a third option on a birth certificate. Now they have male, female, and X. Now let me give you some of these places. Some of y'all crazy folk, y'all can move there. You got New York City. They didn't pass it for the whole state because Schenectady ain't having it. Upstate New York is not having that. Uh, or Oregon, you can be X. You you don't have you, third option in in the whole in the whole state. Washington D.C. Of course, you know that craziest place in America. Maine, Washington State, and California all have a third option. And listen to what these places are encouraging parents to do. They're encouraging parents to check third option so you don't decide for your baby what gender they're going to be. And you got a whole bunch of weirdos raising their babies gender neutral now, Call, not calling them babies. Not even calling them babies, calling them babies. Now, common sense, you know. And talk to the right people in this room. They, they'll remember they've thought it a, a lot, maybe even this week. Who you calling they? Right? Babies. They ought to be offended by that. They. And, and listen. If you are crazy, think about what this is going to do to children. Think about what this is going to do to children. In a country that allows homosexual couples to get married and adopt children and slam on their birth certificate that they're not a boy or a girl and they dress them up any kind of way they want to, I got a really good thought in my mind that two dudes married to each other that have a little boy, they're going to raise, raise that boy to be baby. Two chicks married to each other, they're going to raise that girl to be a they be. And they're, it's crazy because they say, don't check male or female because you don't want to assign gender to your child. Let your child decide what gender they're going to be. That's just ridiculous. On its face, that makes no sense. That's like saying, don't tell your child not to put their face in fire because it'll burn them. Let them decide for themselves. What is wrong with these people? Entire states. And and hear me well. It'll be the whole country before long. It'll be the whole country before long. And if these liberal politicians keep chasing votes of of strange thinking people, it's going to overtake the entire nation. And we're going to be a nation where Christians, listen, the only group of people that you can badmouth right now uh, religiously are Christians. You can't stand up and say one thing about a Muslim. They will bring the wrath down on you. Listen, you can't stand up and say one thing about the homosexual community. They, hey, they are active. I tell you what, they, they learned from the civil rights movement. They will rally. They will march. They, they, listen, I'm going to tell you something. These people, 
I'm on my rant right now. I'm going to get back off it. These people calling themselves Antifa, anti-fascist. When you are screaming people down and not allowing people to have their own opinion, you're the fascist. This, this mob violence that, that the left has turned to, to, to go and, and create mob violence on people they disagree with. I wish a bunch of people would come at me and my children in a restaurant screaming, hollering at me, saying, don't, don't serve them. I, I call Maxine Waters on the phone. I get her phone number. I show up at her house saying, mob these people. Show up where they are. Let them know they're not welcome anywhere, anytime. Don't let them eat in restaurants with you. Get in their face. I wish they'd get in my face in a restaurant. It wouldn't go well for them. I'm not leaving. What are these little weak politicians get up? They don't even take their food with them. They just get up and leave. I don't know how Ted Cruz, big old Texas joker, how did he let a bunch of the leftists run him out of a restaurant? You're not running me out of Wingstop. I'm waiting on my all flat, son. They're coming. Seasoned fries are coming. Believe that. do make me mess around. I'll go up to that fountain, and I will, hey, I will mix that strawberry Fanta in my Dr. Pepper. Don't doubt me. But I am not. Listen, the world has gone mad in the name of tolerance and acceptance. We have to love everybody, but we don't have to accept their stupidity. You need to love your children, but you don't have to accept their ignorance. We, 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 we've got to be unmovable. Well, you know, it's just the, just the way of the times, you know. Everybody's doing it now. And, you know, I, I, I've got Muslims that I work with, and they're just wonderful people. And I just believe that they, they're, they're, you know, they're, they believe their faith as much as we believe our faith. Well, I mean, you can believe that, you know, a dog can fly if you want to, but he can't. You need to get in your mind certain things are absolute. Say absolute. Certain things don't change. Certain things are just for real, gender, this, this whole movement of gender fluidity, and that's even beyond third option. That's like I, I identify as a dude today until the sun goes down. Then I identify as a lady. Insane. This is, on its face, it's ignorant. But do you realize that 99.5% of all teenagers surveyed Agree with gender fluidity. I hope you're in that point, that that zero point five in here, teenagers, where you know if you're a man, you're a man. If you're a woman, you're a woman. Be what God made you to be. Amen. I'm gonna keep moving. We get back into the scripture. This is real though, and I ain't living in New York, Oregon, Washington D.C., Maine. Washington, California, and if Florida elects a governor that takes this state birth certificate, third option, we, we, me and, and my kids and whoever else wants to go, we're going to start us a church in a state that ain't crazy. Got my eyes on Puerto Rico, but I ain't telling that out loud. <laughs> Far enough away from all, hey, y- 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 the only person that knows this well um, because the kids were too young to remember, but when, when Gail died, and I, I was wondering what I was going to do with my life, Amber was their nanny. You know, I was looking at them islands. We, we were searching for an island to move to to get away from crazy folk. 
If you don't make it up in your mind that you're going to be steadfast and unmovable in a what the Bible calls a wicked and a perverse generation, then you are going to get swept away with the strain of life. Put that verse back on the screen for me. So it tells us as Christians, we got to be steadfast. We got to be unmovable. You can't be tossed around. The scripture says anything that can be shaken will be shaken. Don't be shakable. Don't just fall for any old new thing that comes along. It doesn't matter if your sister that you love with all her heart comes home and tells you, I, I, I've got a new religion. I worship pink butterflies. Look at her in the face and say, that religion will take you to hell. You need Jesus. Keep loving her. Keep, keep being a loving person, but, but don't, don't, don't be moved in your faith. It goes on to say, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want you to think about that word, always. How often is always? Is it sometimes? No, because it's what? All right, so here's what I want you to think about this morning. Don't say it out loud, but I really want you to think about this. What can it be said of you that you're always doing? Now, I'll get on Amber because I, I just got on her a second ago. Uh, Amber knows what it means. Uh, Amber knows what always means because she has a small child in her home. So you're always being a mom or you're always looking for a break from having a kid in your face. Now, she loves her baby. I'm just talking about uh, if you look at her Facebook, you might not always, you know, you might think sister needs parents night out, but her child ain't old enough. But parents understand all, what always is, especially moms. Dads, dads stay at work, so they don't always have to be parenting. Amen? They hide out in the office, and they're like, I'm going to be home late. I'm, I'm working. And, you know, you always be all the women in the room like, because, mm, you know, I'm telling the truth. There, what is it about you that someone can say always? Some people are always talking about sports. Some people are always talking about uh, religion. Some people are always doing this that or the other thing. I want you to figure out what you're always doing because God has commanded us to always be doing something. And let me tell you this. You can only do so much. If you're always doing the wrong thing, you're not going to have time to do the right thing. If you're always doing things that get you sidetracked, you're not going to have time to get on track. If you're always doing things that God doesn't approve of, then you're not going to find yourself doing the things that God does approve of. But he tells us what our always should be. Always, put the verse back on the screen, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, this word always here, I believe in this writing, is more figurative than literal. Because none of us are always doing anything except breathing or having our heart beat. These are things, these are involuntary responses that God has designed to take place whether we're conscious or unconscious. So, not literally, but figuratively, what are you always doing? Are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? Now, there are people like that. There, there are people, and if you are one of them, thank God for you, and you ought to thank God for the faith to be one of them. But there are some people that can truly be said, she's just always talking about Jesus. He's just always in his Bible. They're just always praying. They're just always serving God. What is it that you are always doing? God tells us that we should always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, that word abounding means to be doing something a lot. Say a lot. Just for grammar Nazis in the room, that's two words. There is no one word, a lot. 
That, that's, that's not a word. A lot. It's something that you do a lot of. That's what you're about. What, what do you spend your time doing? The old preachers used to tell us, show, show me your checkbook or your calendar, and I can tell you how much you love the Lord. What do you spend the majority of your money on? Where do you spend the majority? Listen, if somebody in a 30-day month has 24 charges on their debit card at the drive through package store, guess what they're always doing? Drinking that liquor. If, if somebody has uh, 35 charges in one month at Publix, they are always at Publix. Man, there's some people, and, and y'all know, I only go there for Dr. Pepper cereal and milk. But it's like every time I go there, I see the same people in there. I'm like, are y'all just always here? Y'all stalking me? What, y'all calendar checking me? Y'all, y'all got spies on my Dr. Pepper level in my refrigerator? But some people are always shopping. You, you, but the Bible says we should always be abounding. We should always be doing a lot of the work. Put that next phrase up, the work of the Lord. So this is what we should always be abounding. We should be always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Say work. People don't like the concept of work. Work's a four-letter word. And many people think work's a, a, a dirty word. And many people think, oh, man, I, I, I wish Adam and Eve would have never sinned so we could just all be naked sipping on my ties. Uh, not, not having any work to do. God gave man work before the fall. Work is a good thing. And I can tell you more than ever now, having gone through the last six-plus years of chronic back and neck pain, when you can't work, your whole life takes a downturn. Work is a blessing. Work, work, work is something that, that you should desire. You should desire to have strength and vitality in your body. But the Scripture tells us the work we should be abounding in is the work of the Lord. All our effort should be spent on His work. I wish I had a Lord's work meter I'd hang it on Deacon Mills and work it all the way around so I could just see where you'd register on how much you are at work in the Lord. Like I said, I thank God for the faithful people who are, who, are, who are at here at this church serving God because many of them, they are always abounding in the work of the Lord. But I wonder how much time you spend on God's work. Before you can figure that out, you've got to know what God's work is. So I'm going to give you a few things. One thing for sure, it's a holy work. You're not doing God's work without holiness. The Scripture says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God's work is... Is a holy work. It's a soul-saving work. It's a sin-delivering work. It's a restoration work. It's a love God and love people work. It's a die-to-yourself work. This is what the work of the Lord is. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.18 says. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You want to know what the work Jesus did? Jesus had a reconciling work, and the work that we should be abounding in is a work of reconciliation. You should be trying to connect people to God. You should be trying to get people who used to be hanging out with God back to hanging out with God, and you should be trying to tell people who've never been hanging out with God that God loves them and has a great plan for their life. I started off this year uh, with, with a theme telling you that love requires what? Love requires action. We're talking about abounding in the work of the Lord. It's, it's an active work. It's a work that requires action. It's, it's a work that changes 
the world that we live in. Your life ought to be different because of the things that you do in service of your God. Your family ought to be different because of the things you do in the service of your God. Your community ought to be different because of the things that you do in service of your God. Listen, listen to what was said about the early Christians in Acts 17.6. But when they did not find them, lost people were looking for believers to throw them in jail. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They're specifically looking for Paul and Silas, but anybody who was following Jesus, and they couldn't find Paul and Silas because they were being hid, but they, they grabbed Jason and some other people, and they said, these who have turned the world upside down. This is the testimony of lost people. These people have turned the world upside down for their God. I wonder, are you turning your world upside down for Jesus? You ought to make a determination that you're going to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that if your marriage is not turned upside down for Jesus, you're going to turn it upside down for Jesus. If your children are not turned upside down for Jesus, you're going to turn it upside down for Jesus. If your finances is not turned upside down for Jesus, you're going to turn it upside down for Jesus. If your praise and worship is not turned upside down for Jesus, you're going to turn it upside down for Jesus. If your living and giving is not turned upside down for Jesus, you're going to turn it upside down for Jesus. We We've got to make a difference. This is the word of the Lord. This is what the early church was doing. They were radically changing. Why? The world around them. Why? Because they had been radically changed. The reason why some people don't always abound in the work of the Lord is because the Lord hadn't done any work in them. See, if the Lord touches you, you're going to want to touch somebody else for the Lord. If the Lord does a work in you, you're going to want to go do some work for the Lord. Ephesians 2.20 says, together we are his house. It's talking about believers. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. The life of every believer is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets, they were abounding in the work of the Lord. They weren't getting caught up in modern day stuff. They weren't getting caught up in their own pet they, they weren't getting caught up in being single-issue voters. They weren't getting caught up in cultural things, racial things, political things. They weren't getting caught up in social things. They were too busy doing what God had called them to do to be caught up in all that other stuff. And our faith is built on the things that they did. we got to study what they did so we can have what they had. They had great power and favor with God and with people, and they turned their world upside down that's why it's so important that you study the bible so you can know what the apostles did what the prophets did and what jesus did last verse was the first verse and i'm done with this in first corinthians 15 58 this, this this in a different this in a more modern translation it says so my dear brothers and sisters be strong and immovable always work enthusiastically for the lord for you know nothing you do for the lord is ever useless Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. If you find yourself saying, I'm just tired of being the only one that ever. Uh, I, if it wasn't for us four people in food and clothing, we wouldn't even have food and clothing. We had food and clothing before you even came here. Are you drunk or just proud? 
I mean, because there's a cure for both of those, and both of the cure is Jesus. Uh, if you're saying, I'm just tired of being, uh, only two of us keep the nursery all month long. I get that. It shouldn't be that way. But if you're not doing what you do enthusiastically, you need a checkup from the neck up. You, you need to figure out what, what's got your mind bent and why you don't realize it's a blessing to work for the Lord. It's a joy to serve the Lord. It's an honor to represent our great and mighty, only true living God to a world that doesn't know Him. Make sure that what you do, oh man, I, I just, I just ugh, church again. Um, I don't want to embarrass anybody, uh, so I'll move on to this side. Uh, uh, of the church but I had somebody let me know this week how how excited they are for Wednesday night to roll around so so church so so they can go to church how excited they are for praise practice to roll around so they can go to pra- just just enthusiastic about wanting to serve God and be around God and the people of God let me ask you this in closing when did you lose your enthusiasm When did you lose your determination to always be abounding in the work of the Lord? Because I can promise you this. If you ever got saved for real, there was a time in your life where you were all in times ten. There was a time in your life where you, you just couldn't wait to be in the church one more time. You just couldn't wait to stand and sing. You just couldn't wait to give your offering. You just couldn't wait for for ladies' Bible study, for men's group, whatever it was. There was an enthusiasm. That says, man, I just I love the Lord. When did you stop loving him like that? Did you ever love him like that? The cure is the same for everyone. We all need Jesus. Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That same Greek word for saved is the same word for deliverance and for healing. Everyone in this room either needs salvation, healing from something, or deliverance from something. And the answer is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the very person that God chose to fully indwell and come to be the physical, visible representation of the invisible God. He's the very embodiment of who God is. And if you will fall in love with him, you will have enthusiasm to work for him. If you will fall, if you fall in love with him more than the things that are driving you away from him, you will find yourself always abounding in the work of the Lord. So many people, I've heard so many people say, well, I just want to get to heaven and hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And they know they're not a good and faithful servant. They know they're not faithful and they're not serving. And nobody's good but God. So what are you really going to hear when you stand before God? Is, is Is that his speech to you? Well done? Are you doing well? My good and faithful servant? Are you being a good and faithful servant? God's not going to lie to you to make you feel good. Lying to make you feel good is what you do to yourself and what you ask your friends to do for you and why so many people go to counselors until they find someone who will tell them you're doing great. I want you to know one day you're going to stand before God And you are going to give an account for whether or not you enthusiastically served him. You're going to give an account for whether or not you were steadfast and unmovable. Whether or not you were always in your place. Whether or not you were stuck on God. Always work 
enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It's not in vain. In closing, I want you to understand this. Your life being used for the glory of God is not a life spent in vain. Your life being used for any other purpose is completely a life spent in vain. One, 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 one poet said it this way. One day soon this life will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Your life and anything you do for the glory of God is not in vain. Your life spent for any other design, any other purpose, it's in vain. Jesus could have been anything he wanted to be, could have done anything he wanted to do, could have lived any way he wanted to live. But he loved the Father so much, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Do you love God with a love like that? Do you love God with a love that says, it's more important to me to do what my Father wants me to do than it is for me to do what I want to do? When it comes down to it, who are you really living to please? Are you living to please yourself? Or are you living to please? Well, it's just sometimes it's not convenient to do all that God serving. And nowhere in the Bible is the same thing about it being convenient. It says be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it's always going to be easy. It says be steadfast, be unmovable in the work of the Lord. If you're here and you're, you're not saved and you think, man, I don't even want that kind of religion. Well, I got bad news for you. If you don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will not make heaven your home. And there's only one other option. And the second piece of bad news I got for you is if you don't want this kind of religion, you're in trouble because this is the only real religion there is. This is the only real truth there is. So with all that bad news, let me finish by giving you some good news. Maybe your life hasn't been enthusiastically serving the Lord. Maybe you've been movable. Maybe you've been shakable. Maybe you've been flaky and funky. Maybe your, your faith has been fickle. Maybe you've been struggling and, 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 and not doing everything that you know God wants you to do. I got great news for you. God will let you in if you'll ask He'll let you into his family if you'll ask. He said, if you call on him and ask him to save you, he'll save you. He said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God will forgive you if you ask him. God will let you in to his family if you'll ask him. And even if you are saved and your sins are already forgiven, if you haven't been serving him to the degree that he's worthy, he'll still let you. He'll still let you. As long as there's breath in your body, God will still let you serve him. You haven't crossed over a line. You haven't gone too far. You haven't wasted too much. You can recover your faith today. You can recover your enthusiasm today. You can recover your obedience today if you choose to. It's about a choice. It's a personal choice. Blaming it on other people, that's just smoke and mirrors. Excuses as to why you don't do it, that's just all con game and hustle. I said, if you're not serving God to the level he's worthy, if you didn't catch that, that's all of us. None of us are serving God to the level that he's worthy. 
So we all need to get on with the getting on. We all need to make a determination that I am going to be steadfast. I'm going to be unmovable. I am going to always work enthusiastically for the Lord because I know this is not in vain. The reason the scripture says it's not in vain, this is at the end of 57 chapters talking about that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again, and that he's coming back to raise you from the dead. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And I want you to be building up treasure in heaven. I want you to be loving God. Why? Because he first loved us. Do you believe he loves you? Then love him back. Stop being the type of person that says, I'll die for the Lord. That's too easy. That's, that's instantaneous. Be the person that says, I will live for the Lord. I will live for the Lord, and one day I will die for the Lord. But as long as there's breath in me, I'll live for the Lord. I will be enthusiastic about my service to the Lord because I know my serving Him is not in vain. It's not just one life. It's God in one life. You're not just one person if you're saved. You are representative of the Most High God, and His Spirit lives inside you. And if you will let Him, He will raise you up to the supernatural. He will raise you up to the miraculous. He will do things in you that if this world lasts another 500 years, they'll still be talking about it in 500 years. You ought to want to make a difference for your great God, for the great things He's done for us. Pray with me. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for life. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for belief, for faith, for mercy, for grace, for goodness. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you for healing. Thank you for deliverance. God, I pray for every person in this room who's not truly saved. Lord, I pray that you'd save them. God, I pray for every person in this room who is saved but struggling. God, I pray that you would increase our faith, help our unbelief, motivate us, compel us, draw us closer to you so that we can be and do all that you've called us to be and do. God, I pray that you would use this church and the people inside this church to work enthusiastically for you, that we would transform our world for you. And that we would turn our world upside down so that everyone would know that there is a real God. His name is Jehovah, and he's the father of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you will put your words in our mouth, that you would fill us with your spirit to overflow, God. I pray that you you would begin an exciting thing in this place through your people, God. I pray that you'd take our praise and worship higher. I pray that you'd take our living and giving higher, God. I pray that you would let us be those people who are turning their world upside down for Christ. We choose you today, God. We choose your word. We choose your will. We choose your way. God, we recognize that you're better than us, that you're smarter than us, that your way is right when our way is wrong. God, we ask you to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness, take wrong thoughts from our mind and fill our minds with your word. We choose you. We choose your way. You are our God, and we love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.